Well, we live in a society that tells us if we're strong, if you're doing it right, you won't need anybody. And the sign of success in America is when you get to the point to where you're isolated and you don't have to ask for anything. And it's just, it doesn't work. We all know that that's not how life works. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with my co-host and my good friend, David Bloom. Hi, Alan. Hey man, uh, I love our conversations. I love these topics and uh, I love the book that we're going to talk about today. My friend Daniel Grothy came out with a book, Chasing Wisdom. And man, we are talking about some timeless topics. I think wisdom is always uh, going to be in demand, but right now, I don't know about you, David, but I am looking to follow wise leaders that understand the complexity and the nuance of this moment mm-hmm. and really can make, I would say, timeless decisions right now about things that matter to us and will continue to matter, but in a timely way right now. Um, talk a little bit about wisdom right now, David. Where, where are you seeing wisdom? Where are you seeing a lack of wisdom right now? Why is this a key moment for this topic? We live in a culture that is very reactionary, and it's it's very easy, like our culture is conducive to a reactionary posture because of stuff like social media. You used to have to go out to argue. Now you can do it in the comfort of your own home. You can do it in a lazy boy, right? And so With my you, thumbs, I could just tweet it real quick. Yeah, so you can literally blast out your split-second thoughts and opinions to the world without thinking about it, without considering how other people might be impacted. Um, and it's extremely dangerous as leaders or as followers of Jesus. And um, it, technology can be great until it's destructive. And social media is this tool that uh, we just haven't figured out how to use. It's like giving a toddler an SUV and we're the toddler, and social media is the SUV. Super great tool if you know how to use it properly. Otherwise, it can be pretty destructive, and you're driving into your neighbor's you know, living room. So I got a great mental um, picture of that. That was well said. <laughs> yeah, but it's just so it's relatively new to human beings. And all of the kind of things that used to help us put the brakes, like a face-to-face conversation where you get punched in the face, is no longer there. Um, anonymity. Um, immediate uh, gratification and reaction is all contributing to a culture that is lacking wisdom deeply. So we need to help figure it out as leaders and both use it wisely personally, but then help, um, you know, help the people that we're uh, leading and stewarding um, to help, you know, them figure out wisdom in this arena. So yeah, it's, it's super crucial right now. I heard um, I heard somebody say it was one of those moments that marks me. You know, when somebody says a phrase, you know it's true, you know it's significant. And I was 21 years old, um, and I was exiting college, and you know, kind of had this sum up of four years. And I remember during this time, you know, incredible speaker was was prophetic in the way that he said this. He said, "This is the age of discernment. Leaders who have it." will thrive and those who don't will destroy themselves. And it was kind of one of those that you just know is true. And now I know how true that is. That many times it used to be that that others would destroy you. And now your own decision can. And I'm just reminded, you know, careful little thumbs what you tweet. Um, careful what we share, that moment, that 
that thing that really could come across in the wrong way, we have to think about it in terms of nuance. And um, what I love about Daniel is that he was apprenticed by Eugene Peterson. I was shaped by Eugene and, and got to visit Eugene uh, and his amazing wife, Jan, before they passed and had an incredible time learning from them. Many of us have read. David, I know you're you know, a big fan. I've read a lot of his books and love the message and the texture that that brings to scripture. But he just talks through many years of his life uh, in this interview and, and in his book and how God shaped him, how God used Eugene to shape him, why we need older voices, why we need discernment in areas of margin and space and rhythms and liturgies, and just covers a, a whole array of topics that all come back to this topic of wisdom. I don't know what could be more applicable um, to maybe a span of about 10 years of our lives, especially as we think through our 20s and 30s, if you're listening, a massive shift, um, I think, uh, in our world because of the power we have at our fingertips. So uh, I love this conversation. I love Daniel. He's just an incredible guy. He's a pastor at New Life Church here in Colorado Springs, and he brings a topic that, frankly, all of us need. David, before we hit record, you and I were discerning through a really hard um, set of decisions that we both need to make and where are you at with this? And so I just love leading with people who are thinking through wisdom and a topic of discernment. It's one that's not going away anytime soon. In fact, I think wise leaders will be in demand in the next months, years, and decades. I'm looking forward to seeing how this conversation plays out. So enjoy my conversation with my friend, Daniel Grothy, on his book, Chasing Wisdom. Daniel, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Alan, you are a legend, and to be on the Right Side Up podcast, I mean, I just saw you had Steve Cuss on and my friend Ken Costa, these guys, Danielle Strickland, you guys are lighting it up, so thanks for having me. Man, I love your book. I'm holding it right here in my hand. Yeah, I'm still old school, love me some paper books. Chasing yeah. Wisdom, The Lifelong Pursuit of Living Well, and of course, you didn't plan this outbreak, uh, also called COVID-19, that was going to sort of interrupt this process. Uh, but I think it's cool how God is using you in some unexpected ways to get this message out to thousands of people, but different ones than you thought. You had a speaking tour on the book canceled, and I'm just excited to get the word out about this this book. Man, I just I deeply admire you and your leadership and have watched a lot of that unfold right here in our city of Colorado Springs. And so, um, man, I, I love this question that you're asking here, Daniel. You, you say, how do we become the kind of people who know how to handle what life throws at them? I mean, that is prophetic for this moment, because if we can live wise, then it really comes out in the midst of, let's say, a pandemic in this moment. And so that wisdom that we're after, we have a lot of leaders listening who are young, but every single leader listening wants to grow and needs to grow in wisdom. So why was this question of wisdom worth you chasing for so many months, if not years of your life, uh, to put it into the pages of this book? Well, life happened to me just like it happens to all of us. I mean, here we are in a COVID outbreak, uh, you all remember the recession of 06, 07, 08. Uh, some of you have lived long enough to watch the Iron Curtain fall. You've lived through wars. I mean, this is nothing new. Life shifts and life moves and the bottom falls out and it happens overnight. And here we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, but for me, particularly, that happened uh, 12, 13 years ago here at our church when I came in as a young pastor and 
you'll know the story, Alan, so bear with me, but we were, we were riding high and, and, uh, you know, we were sort of like the nineties bulls for a minute where everything we were doing was, it just seemed to be working until the bottom fell out and we lost our senior pastor, uh, to a scandal. And our pastor was on the front page of every newspaper and he was the president of the national association of evangelicals and a 30 million member group out of Washington, DC. And so all of a sudden we're now on the front page of every major news media outlet internationally for the, for the scorn and the shame. And then we get a new senior pastor 10 months later, and we're just starting to get the wind at our back again and simple trust and starting to rebuild. And then one Sunday morning, a shooter storms onto our campus with an AR-15 and a thousand rounds of ammo and is lighting the place up with bullets. He killed two teenage girls in the parking lot, shot their dad in the stomach, that family, they're friends of mine. And he raced into our building and he's spraying bullets everywhere. And I run into our pastor's office saying, there's a shooter on campus. There's a shooter on campus. And, and uh, a security guard runs toward him, shoots him in the leg. He falls down and then ends up taking his own life in our children's hallway. So here I am as a young pastor. The year before, I'd lost my boss and friend, our senior pastor. And now 10 months later, 12 months later, we've got a double murder suicide on our campus. And I just can't climb up from down. And I, I sort of, can we make it? Are, is our church going to crumble overnight? Are we going to become a used car lot? And uh, I, I stumbled onto this book by Eugene Peterson called The Contemplative Pastor. Bought it I stumbled on, here. you mean like you're in a thrift store. Not like yeah, I mean, somebody else put this right. on you, but like 50 cents at a thrift store snubbled upon. <laughs> yeah, 99 cents. I got the copy right here in my hand. And I, I see Eugene Peterson. I think that's the guy that translated the Message Bible. So I bought it that day. It was a Monday, my day off. And I read all 171 pages, which I just don't ever do. But this book grabbed me by the soul. And I thought, I have to write this guy. I, I got to tell him, at, at least I've got to tell him thank you. But at most, I want to ask and see if he'll take me in for a day. So that began the process of chasing someone who had lived a long obedience in the same direction, someone who was exactly what this podcast is shooting for, someone who showed up at the end of their life full of life without having lost his soul. And he was a guy who could help me navigate the, the chaotic terrain that I was walking through. And that led to essentially an apprenticeship with Eugene, I definitely I want you to share that initial letter uh, as well. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. After Eugene's passing, um, there were so <laughs> many of us, especially young leaders, that said, oh, yeah, I spent time with Eugene, and I can't believe he responded to my letter, and he invited me in. And I knew his impact was big. I knew his impact was on Bono and you know so many other world leaders, and yet I had no idea it was so widespread and that man of faithfulness right. that you had this opportunity to apprentice under. So why don't you go back to that first letter? How did it start, Daniel? So I just said, dear Eugene, here's what's been going on at my church for the last two years. And I tell him the story. I tell him who I am. I'm a 25-year-old kid, just had our first baby. And I, and I need help. I need to be able to be a pastor who makes it. And so could I spend a day with you? So I was sure that he wasn't going to respond. I didn't even know who he was or where he lived. So I sent it over to Nav Press here in town. And I said, hey, he, he wrote the Bible for you. Could you send this to him? <laughs> <laughs> and I was sure they wouldn't. And, and, and they did. They sent it to him. And two and a half weeks later, I go to the mailbox 
and there's a letter from Eugene Peterson. And I've got the copy here in my hand in the book that I found, you know, that all those years ago. And Eugene responds and he says, Dear Daniel, yes, I would be willing to spend a day with you here in Montana, period. And at that point, I'm thinking, so you're telling me there's a chance. I mean, it was like, I'm in. Are you serious? <laughs> and then he says, but not so fast, period. And he wanted me to write a three-page letter on what a three-page letter on what is church and a three-page letter on what is pastor. And he said, I want to see if we even have enough common ground to begin a conversation. And then his letter proceeds to just rip me to shreds. He takes me down. He takes me down and questions the church that I'm working at and calls me on the carpet. And he's he's basically just trying to vet me and see if he can run me off. And he said at the very end, and if you come, I don't want a touristy visit, the peace of our Lord, Eugene. So he, he threw down the gauntlet. And a lot of people, I read that to some of my friends at the church, and they were like, Daniel, that's mean. Don't, don't respond to him. And like, <laughs> forget this guy. And, and for me, I was thrilled because I thought, look, if, if we're going to do the work, let's go for it. And so I wrote those papers and sent them in, and a month later he responded, and that began essentially a 10-year, 10-trip back and forth with Eugene that changed my life. Mm. I had the uh, opportunity and just the gift to sit with he and Jan for three days, and I was just <laughs> I was struck by how present they were and how, I mean, almost like in this letter, Daniel, if he had something to say in the most truthful and gracious way, he would say it without caring what the response was. And, you know, I never knew him as a young man, uh, you know, so I don't know what he was like when he was our age, but I do know that I appreciated that so much because he just didn't give a rip what I said about it. And he just said it It was so refreshing. And yet he was, would Mm -hmm. smile and just be so present as he said something that was really hard to handle um, for us three young pastors. So I'm curious I mean, you could take a hundred things, I'm sure, but what are one or two things that from those visits with he and Jan, you will just never forget? Like the life lesson you pulled looking over Flathead Lake and going, man, this was the essence of Eugene. Well, one of the things that I've taken to saying about Eugene over the years, uh, one of the reasons I feel like I can trust him is because it only took him 65 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. He yeah. nobody knew who he was. He pastored the same little church in Bel Air, Maryland for 30 years, faithfully serving these people, 300 people, 400 people, 500 people, translating the scriptures, writing books in total obscurity. He didn't he didn't sell many copies, and all of a sudden he retires and he translates the translates the scriptures and the thing explodes and he sells nearly 20 million copies. Well, if he had done that when he was my age, 37 years old, it would have killed him. It would have, it, it, he wouldn't have been ready for it, I don't think. But I think God knew after years and years of slow faithfulness in the hidden places that Eugene could be trusted with something like that. And so when I think about Eugene, I think about him being sort of an icon of uh, going slow, of, of doing holy work. He wrote a book on vocational holiness. Uh, where he, he was just committed to, to not cutting corners. He was committing to do it, to do the work at the pace that it would take. And after 65 years, boom, he's in the spotlight. 
And at that point, he didn't care. You, you and I know we've talked to him about it, uh, you know, in his home where Bono reaches out to him all those years ago and Eugene turns him down. And he goes, yeah, I don't know. Who's this Bono guy? Bono? <laughs> Come on, bro. He's like, the greatest I, rock star in the world. I got and work to do. He's translating Isaiah. He's got to, he's going to turn down Bono because he's translating Isaiah. And oh, sure, the, the, the relationship came around. It was a beautiful thing, but he was just a man that was committed to doing it the right way and doing it at the right pace and the, let the chips fall where they may. If God's going to you know, bring him to the front, fine. If God's not going to bring him to the front, fine. So that's one thing that I learned about Eugene. And then you mentioned it earlier. Why in the world would he care about chumps like you and me? Yep. Why would he open up his house? Why would he be hospitable? Why would he take the time and take the chance? These are his latter years. He was 76 when I met him. So uh, these are the years where he could travel. And Bono had offered him his place in the French Riviera at any time. And Eugene never took him up on it. He stayed home and hosted people. And so the, the generosity, the hospitality, the man was a pastor until the day he took his last breath. You couldn't get it out of him. So uh, going slow and being who you are and opening up your heart, uh, to me, it's just a, a sign of the kingdom of God. Mm. It was funny. We visited the week after Bono. So Jan made it clear we were to kiss her on her left cheek because Bono owned the right <laughs> cheek, right? Uh, didn't want to didn't want to smudge that. But um, just oh. to seem completely unimpressed by people of the world is completely impressed by, and then to give us their full attention. Again, three young pastor chumps um, mm-hmm. was incredible. The gift of presence. Well, you talk about lots of different areas of wisdom and you get really practical in the book, which I love. We love that here on the podcast. You talk about sages, you talk about scripture, the church, the quiet life, what we read, rest, holy lament, so many different areas to delve into. But I wanted to kind of camp on a couple different areas. Can you talk a little bit about the wisdom of asking for help? How's that connected to our success? Well, we live in a society that tells us if we're strong, if you're doing it right, you won't need anybody. And the sign of success in America is when you get to the point to where you're isolated and you don't have to ask for anything. And it's just, it doesn't work. We all know that that's not how life works. And I tell the story, you know, just to provoke people that, hey, this is what great folks do. They ask for help. I I tell the story of the 12-year-old Steve Jobs. And he's living in Palo Alto, growing up as a little boy, and he wanted to learn how to build a frequency counter. Now, I don't even know what a frequency counter is because that's so many generations ago of technology, but that was like the cutting edge. And Bill Hewlett lived across town of Hewlett Packard. He's the CEO and the president of one of the greatest organizations on the planet. The 12-year-old Steve Jobs gets out a phone book, and he flips through it, and he finds Bill Hewlett's name and home phone number in the phone book. And he picks it up. He calls Mr. Hewlett. Bill Hewlett picks up the phone. He says, Bill here. And the kid goes, hey, my name's Steve Jobs. I'm 12, and I want to learn how to build a frequency counter. And Hewlett goes, man, what chutzpah? You know, like, of course. So he gives him a job. He gives him the part. And Steve Jobs becomes Steve Jobs. And he said at the end of his life, he was being interviewed. And he said, I just, I've never not asked for help. And my, I've never found someone who wouldn't be willing to help me if I just put myself in the way of their help. So I, I think that every great person I've spent time around lives with a sort of holy presumption. I work that phrase in the book, holy presumption, that they're not presumptuous. They're not going to be a diva, 
but they're going to ask. They're going to put themselves in the way of help and then see how things shake out. And so I, I think we think we have to be strong. We have to have it all together. And even if we don't know, we want to act like we know. But I think the kingdom of God values people who are humble enough to say, I need your help. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So all of the listeners out there, you, you run businesses, you're nonprofit leaders, you're pastors, you're in the grind, and you're, you're seeing challenges come up right and left. Look for someone who's logged some miles with God. Look for someone who is unfazed by your little story that's unfolding right now. And for us, living in our story, it's like the only thing happening. But there are people out there who have greater perspective, who have, who have stories to tell, who have experienced things along the way that will be able to save you and to help you if you'll just ask. So I think, I think the bottom line, the starting point of chasing wisdom is saying, you know what, I don't have enough on my own and I need to find some people who can help me along the way. So ask for help. Yes. And so many times when I ask God for something, he brings someone into my life to teach me how to live into something instead of just the check in the mail, instead of just the opportunity. It's someone that shows me how I could have the infrastructure, how I could have the support to actually handle that if God were to give it to me. I love what you say, Daniel, on page 26. Sages are like the load-bearing walls. They're the infrastructure God gives us to keep our lives sturdy. A sage can save your life, but sometimes they can be hard to spot. So how do we find sages, Daniel? They are, they are just tucked away right around you. For me, a lot of times people hear my story with Eugene and they think that a sage has to be an internationally known published author who has Bono chasing him. No, 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 no. For every one Eugene Peterson I've had in my life, and there's exactly one, I have car mechanics school teachers, financial planners, stay-at-home grandmas. I've got all kinds of sages that look all kinds of different ways. And what I'm looking for is someone who's got a broad experience. I write in the book that a sage is someone who's been disciplined in what I call the spiritual discipline of trial and error. <laughs> they have just, they, yep. they've practiced, they've, they've experimented, they've They've tried and they've failed. I don't trust someone who hasn't messed up some, who hasn't uh, experienced the bottom falling out, who hasn't, you know, I was listening to Bob Iger the other day being interviewed and he said, a lot of people think, you know, this is the chairman of the Walt Disney Corporation for 15 years, a legend. And he said, oh, people think that I nail it every time. He goes, no way. Uh, For every one time I've nailed it, I've messed up twice. So I, I just find someone who has lived some trial and error practice. They have stories to tell and submit your story to them and see how they can help you along the way. So don't look for the icons. Look for the people around you who have done exactly what you want to do, which is show up toward the end of their life looking human, wholesome, their relationships are strong, and they've earned the wisdom to share. That's good. Look for people who are whole instead of people who are famous. Because I do think, yeah, Icon and Sage, we can think, well, you know, let's find somebody famous. Uh, Sometimes I think a lot of dead guys uh, and people have gone before us are the best because they just don't care for the relevance and the issues we have today. And they write something that's strangely timeless yet timely at the same time. So sometimes our sages, you know, we'll never even have access to and sit in their living rooms. 
Um, talk about scripture for a minute. I don't want to. I don't want to gloss over this. I know you deeply believe in the Word of God. You preach it every single week, Daniel. How has Scripture saved your life? Oh Lord, uh, I mean, where, what do we even have if we don't have the book? You, you open up Genesis one, and God flings the world into being with a word. Let there be. This is a God who speaks and who it will speak, and who is constantly calling worlds into being. And the way he raises us up, even even in his resurrection power by the Spirit right now, is by speaking. And I woke up funky this morning. We're, we're living in the COVID lockdown. I don't know what in the world is happening with my calendar. Life is totally turned on its ear. And what do you do? You get in the scriptures. And is it some sort of magical, does it always feel like the, the heavens rend and angels are ascending and descending? No. but I started to find that peace be still. I started to hear the word of the master saying, let there be light, and there was. And the, the spirit in Genesis 1-2 is hovering over the chaos. And into that place, God says, let there be light, and there is. And so it's every day we wake up with some sense of primordial chaos looming over our lives. And the spirit's hovering and waiting, but we've got to put ourselves in the way of God's word. And so I wouldn't even know who I am without God's word. I wouldn't know what I would be able to contribute to the world without teaching my kids the scriptures at bedtime. And, and, and so for me, the word of God, it, we've said it all our lives, you know, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. The word of God pierces and, and wakes up the world. And so we've got to be people who hide ourselves in the book. And I, and I again, this sounds so elementary and we can take it for granted, but we live in an age of great distraction. We live in an age where we could fritter away our day and not have anything to show for it. We live in an age where we get a report at the end of the week of how many hours a day we spent on our iPhones. And God, God save us from our smartphones that have made us so dumb and return us back to the book, return us back to the origins, return us back to the word that will bring us back to life. That's good. You talk about the wisdom of a quiet life. How in the world do we live a quiet life in this noisy age? I think you got a you got a Sabbath. I think you Sabbath is a statement that I am going away because I am not needed. And as much as I want to convince myself that the world will fall apart if I stop, I'm going to make myself stop and then 24 hours later see that that the world doesn't really need me, and God needs me more to be restored in my soul. So a quiet life, um, we, we live in a world that turns us into uh, pathological self-promoters if we're not careful. Um, and, and what I love about Eugene is that he would just turn stuff down. Like there are certain things, unless you're saying no to, to a significant number of things, uh, I think you're doing it wrong. And um, the people that I think that do it well are people who know exactly what they're supposed to be doing, and they only do those things. And so for me, a quiet life looks like uh, turning the phone off as much as you can. To me, a quiet life looks like going hard at work. Absolutely. I'm not saying be lazy and be soft and you know just take a life of luxury. No, go hard, but then retreat. Um, be with your be with your kids if you're a parent. Uh, go where nobody knows you. 
regularly, that, that's a discipline of mine. Go where nobody knows you. Find a patch of trees in the Rocky Mountains if you're, if you're near the Rockies. Go somewhere else and, and live a quiet life. Let your soul be restored. So um, turn off the noise so that you can begin to hear God's voice again. Yeah, Daniel, how can we become wiser about our own rest? There's a lot of talk about rest today, but not a whole lot of people saying, here's how you actually carve it out. So how can we grow in wisdom about how we're resting each week? For me, it's Mondays, and Mondays are are non-negotiable. Uh, well, I should say Mondays when we're not in a COVID lockdown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but you got to find 24 hours. And the, the Jews to this day on Friday night at sundown till Saturday at sundown, they ain't doing anything. And it's protected space and the community rallies around it. They're going to shut down their shops in these Orthodox Jewish communities. There's no cars. For me, a good Sabbath is when I do not get in a vehicle for 24 hours. Yes. That, that's when I know like a sign of I've stayed at home. I have exercised. I have been with my wife. We've made breakfast together. We've made lunch together. We're drinking way too much coffee, reading, taking a nap. But it, um, until you have that day that is immovable on your calendar, you're just going to be piecemealing your way through. So I would say the first thing is find the, the 24 hour zone where you can just be where you are and then start building routines within it. So for me, it's body, soul, mind, and spirit. If I'm not addressing those four areas that Jesus calls us to love him with on a Sabbath, then I haven't done Sabbath appropriately. So I'm going to exercise. I'm going to, I'm going to use my body, get the blood flowing soul. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to, I'm going to take a nap, Lord willing. <laughs> Mine, Amen. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to challenge myself. Uh, maybe it's memorize a short poem, uh, read a book, uh, you know, grow up and spirit, you know, just let the Lord speak his affirmation over me. So you'll find your rhythms, but I think you got to find the day first and then build those rhythms into the day. Mm. Yeah, man, that that's good. And those don't happen unintentionally. Those don't ac- accidentally happen. You know, weeds grow in the yard if we do nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and so for us, at Stay Forth Designs, like you are echoing exactly what we talk about to say there's something we've missed that the Jews have always had. Yep. And then there's a margin space. A friend of mine says, without margin, there's no imagination. And wow, I love how you talk about the Sabbath, Daniel, that that's when we get to look into our kids' eyes again and like see them, see yeah. the personality. We've seen them all week, yeah. but we haven't really truly seen them. And life just seems so much fuller and so much more HD on Sabbath yeah. to go, man, I've like, you know, skimmed past these things. Uh, and even mm-hmm. during this forced slowdown that has been the COVID season, um, it's thrown me off and it's crazy, you know, for all of us. And yet there are things that God has, you know, yeah. used this cosmic pause button to teach me. And uh, I think I was doing mm-hmm. pretty well before COVID. And I realized, <laughs> wow, like I was driving too much and running too fast and all that. So for another day, man, we'll, we'll talk specifically about that. I wanted to dig into yeah. lament. You talk about the wisdom yeah. of lament. What is that? Yeah. And then why do we resist it? Because we think after watching social media, we think that it's actually possible to have an airtight, 
happy, clappy, everything's working life, because that's what all the celebrities have, we think. And so that's the new standard for us. The new standard is sleek bodies and deep pockets and beautiful lives and filters. And, and it's just garbage. It, it doesn't even match up with the human experience. And so the wisdom of holy lament, I write about it in the book, because you open the Psalms and almost fully two thirds of the Psalms have an element of lament in them. Why, O oh Lord, have mercy on me, O oh God. How long, O oh Lord, where have you gone? Have you turned your face from me? My enemies are rising up against me. Life is falling. Psalm 88 ends with, and darkness is my closest friend. I mean, if any of our Sunday services ever ended like that, people would go to their cars going, screw these guys, you know, like, <laughs> uh, but the psalmist goes, darkness is my closest friend. What is going on? And so if we don't get the chance to name the realities, if we think that the kingdom of God is the place where everything has to be working all the time, if we think that church is the place where it's just uh, every day is a Friday and every day is working, uh, we have we have sent away the wounded and the weary among us, and we've told them that there's no place for them in the house of God. But you look at the life of faith. You look at David in the cave of Adullam. You look at Jesus in Gethsemane sweating tears of blood and crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes up a lament psalm on his lips when he's hanging on the tree. And so if Jesus can weep at Lazarus's death, if Jesus can say, why, why am I alone here? I think it means that our humanity is, is only fully realized to the extent that we have the full spectrum of emotions available. So when life is working, rejoice shout, dance, take a drink, enjoy, whatever it is that, that allows you to signal God has blessed you, receive that. But when life is not working, and when you go to the funeral that you didn't expect to go to, and when you get called by your boss in a lockdown and told you're fired, and, and you get that diagnosis, if you can't name it, then a, a portion of your humanity shuts down, and I think it, it infects everything. So the people of God are those who know how to be fully human in the presence of God. And so the wisdom of holy lament, whenever I get honest with God, whenever I get honest with my wife, whenever I get honest with my friends, something opens up. And, and I'll just leave you with this. In an ancient society, when they would come in for war, what they would do first is they would go and find the wells and they would clog the wells. Because they knew that if they could clog the wells, there's no running water and life stops. And I think it's very much the same with us emotionally, that if the well gets clogged and we don't say that life is falling apart, we don't name it, then life breaks down for us. And so I think recovery of your humanity will, will come to the extent that you recover honesty in God's presence and in the presence of your loved ones. Just tell the truth about how you're feeling. And at my heart level, I hate this. And I used to not do this well at all. I mean, and I'm sort of in recovery from, you know, trying sure, to seem like it's sure. all good all the time. I mean, even the phrase is good vibes only. Uh, it's all good. Right. Says, don't bring right. that garbage in here of less right. than 100% joy. And uh, we just have Dang. to be careful, really careful of creating a good vibes culture mm -hmm. in our church, mm -hmm. in groups that we're around, uh, even in our own life to say, my friends have the freedom to call me when they are struggling, not just when they want. Yeah. Who can you celebrate and lose around? Um, and this has been huge for yeah. me 
Daniel, I think if I didn't recover this, uh, and you know, again, I'm, I'm a struggler right now at it, but if I wasn't aware of this, I don't know that I would have been able to handle COVID after the first week because there were so many losses that I just had to name and so many things that I had to grieve and, and say, that sucks. Like I didn't want to lose this. I was really excited for this and it's helping me name things. And, you know, as the phrase, the things you can name, you can tame. And it's been amazing to then invite God into those spaces versus before I would have just kept barreling and say, I'm going to find the next good thing and actually head toward the future. So, uh, unfortunately I loved and hated that in the book. Sure. Well, let me say this one thing, because this is, this is a leadership podcast and you've got pastors, nonprofit leaders, business leaders, and to be a leader very often is to have the expectation that you are the one who always has to have it together. And I think it's an occupational hazard for leaders. And we've just seen recently a couple very prominent pastors kill themselves. What in the world? I mean, how, how, how much ache must there be out there that we have the word of God, we've got the hope, we've got the, the life for the world, the proclamation that Jesus is risen, but we can't even name our own difficulties and our struggles. And so I would just say, leaders, please, if you prioritize one thing, it, it's having a place where you can be honest, where you can tell the truth. If you need to get a counselor, get a counselor. If you need to get a spiritual director, do that. If you need to develop that honesty with a spouse or with your friends, please do that. But do not buy in to this lie that to be a leader means you always have to have it together. Because if you do, at some point, you will crack. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder, Daniel. We need that in this moment. Um, And I'm grieving uh, currently as we process what was going on uh, in in this leader's life. Later in the book, you talk about the wisdom of an active life. What do you mean by that? Everyone who I've ever known that would be on, under the sage category has been someone who stayed fresh. I don't mean someone with washboard abs and you know a physique. They're not going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is the people who are wholesome and vibrant in every way are people who have learned how to continue to move. You read the, the book about the blue zones. Maybe you've seen this, but uh, G- National Geographic did a study a handful of years ago about these blue zones. Like, there's five hot spots in the world where there's a uh, disproportionate amount of centenarians, people who live to be 100 or more. And they, they want to do a study, what keeps people vibrant and alive and active? And one of the things is that they're constantly using their bodies. None of these people have been to gyms. They just work. They garden. They, they, they harvest crops. They sheep herd. They walk through town. They go, they exercise on bikes. So I just, I think we live in an age where uh, Wendell Berry said it recently that in America now we are just people who have brains that are housed in these containers that we call bodies. Mahatma Gandhi said that, uh, Mahatma Gandhi said that you know, one of the greatest losses in humankind is the ability that we, we've lost using our hands. We don't know how to do anything. And so now we've got computers and cell phones, and so we're dormant more than ever before. Since the Industrial Revolution, machines have taken over the need for human beings. And so I think if we're going to stay wholesome and vibrant, it's going to be the recovery of our bodies. It's going to be using our hands. It's going to be getting our hands in the dirt. 
It's going to be maybe woodworking or art or music. It's going to be getting out on the trails. But the, the people to me who last over the long haul and who show up at the end of their lives as vibrant are those people who have learned how to live in their bodies well and to keep moving. That's good. Well, guys, I encourage you to grab this book, Chasing Wisdom, The Lifelong Pursuit of Living Well. Such a good title and subtitle, by the way. Somebody's listening to this, Daniel, and says, certain areas in my life, I'm living like a fool. I I am foolish. I'm making bad decisions. I'm just not intentional about my life. I'm getting lived by my life. I'm not living it. What are a couple ways you encourage people to start? Where should people start if they say, I want to be wiser? Yeah. Well, first of all, repent of foolishness. Uh, Repentance looks like saying, you know what? There's more. I I can do better. God has more for me. So a simple act of naming it and shaming it and saying, Lord, give me wisdom. And then you start scanning the horizon for who, who around me is living a life that is worth mimicking. Who around me is living a life that's provocative in all the right kind of holy ways? Who around me has seemed to to ace this and go buy them a lunch, buy them coffee. One of my one of my favorite friends in the church is a 92 year old man, Bob Staten, and I take him out to Cracker Barrel quarterly and I buy him eggs and bacon and I say, Bob, I'm coming with questions. I'm buying the meal and you just talk. So find someone who's lived well after you've repented after you've asked the Lord for wisdom and then start peppering them with questions and then start thinking about what practices can I tweak? All of this is just ethereal. It's academic until you start tweaking a practice. So maybe change one practice and see what happens. Practice the scientific method and then start adding these wholesome practices and look up in a year and tell me if you hate how you've turned out. Love that. Start where you are, not where you want to be. Daniel, highly practical, highly spiritual. Would love when those two go together. Again, God uses encounters and practices to shape us in our lives, and that's what we believe. Um, and this book has both. Respect you so much and love what you're doing. Always want to leave people with a question of getting personal about practices in their own lives. And because so much of the book is you getting personal, I wanted to shift a little bit different direction here. So other than reading scripture, other than Sabbath, other than time in prayer, what are some practices that have sustained you during this COVID season? Oh, practices that have sustained me. We started it can be simple. We, no, we, yeah. For us, the thing that has kept us sane is we've done two big projects. I built a chicken coop from the ground up. Uh, I, I knew that at the end of COVID, I needed to have something to show for it, mm. like tac- tactile. Like I needed to yep. be able to see something has changed. So we built a chicken coop and a goat run and a little dog house out back. And we've got 10 laying hens out there now that we didn't have two months ago. So that's one thing. Second thing is we planted a monster garden. We've got onions and tomatoes and lettuce and potatoes and all this stuff growing. So those are the two for us. Those will be two symbols that, you know what? We didn't totally waste the time. We've got something. We, we were better after the thing ended. And I needed to use my body, put my hands in the soil. So those are the two things that I feel like give me a sense of accomplishment and sanity in a, in a disorienting time. Beautiful. You heard it here, folks. Want to get healthy? You better build a chicken coop. That's what I got out of this interview. I don't know about you guys. Daniel, <laughs> grateful for you. you. 
That's right, man. Uh, You've heard it here. Grateful for you, your friendship. And uh, this message is so practical right now in this moment. Guys, pick up a copy of Chasing Wisdom. So appreciate you, Daniel. Keep up the good work, my man. Love you, bro. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We hope that these conversations are encouraging and challenging to your soul and leadership. If you want to dig a little deeper into any of these things, if these conversations are resonating with you and you don't know what your next step is, I would encourage you to head over to stayforth.com. We have all sorts of resources that you can dig into with coaching, consulting, uh, ebooks, tools, uh, blog posts, all sorts of content that our team is constantly creating so that leaders can uh, pursue health. And that's what we care deeply about. So if you want to take your next right step uh, towards health as a leader, I would invite you to check out stayforth.com and see if there's any way uh, that our team can partner with you to pursue health in your leadership. So uh, we are dropping episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. If you haven't subscribed, I would encourage you and invite you to do that. That way you will be notified every time we drop a new episode. But as always, we are so incredibly thankful for your support and that you continue to listen to these conversations that we believe are oh so crucial to our culture right now. So we'll see you in the next episode. Shine, shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.